You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it to Mark chapter 1. We're going to be breaking up this morning into some little encounters with Jesus. We're going to cover about 25 verses. But in these 25 verses in chapter 1, we see many different people meeting Jesus. I think Mark wrote it this way so that way we could see just a glimpse, almost a a what is the day in the life of of Jesus going to look like. And so we get this glimpse of some teaching, some healing, some miracles, some prayer. And so we're going to have this this time where we're catching a glimpse of all these different things. And so if you have your Bibles open at Mark chapter 1, we're going to start on verse 21. They're at a synagogue, and at this time, synagogues, we often think, oh, it's kind of like a church, and, and it is similar, but one of the big differences is they didn't have a pastor. They didn't have someone that led the synagogue, that led the services. The people that would lead it, the people that would speak or read the scripture, uh, the Old Testament scrolls, was often just traveling, visiting rabbis. So this is when we're in the book of Acts, we see Paul goes into a new town and he starts speaking in the synagogue. That's because it was just kind of normal that he's a rabbi and and the people are excited. Hey, here's a visiting rabbi. He's going to bring the word this day. So this is what Jesus does. Says verse 21, and they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. The scribes were like the PhDs of the time. They were the wisest. They were the scholarliest. They, they had their wisdom, but it was a wisdom that was built on previous generations. Wisdom built on what the rabbis before had said and, and what had been taught and, and passed down. And so it was a great deal of wisdom, but it was based on the authority of others, based on the authority of the past. And so we hear this, and, and sometimes I've wondered, what, what, what did that mean that he taught us with authority, not like the scribes? And I just think, oh, he just must be a good teacher. But no, it was different. Jesus taught with this confidence. Jesus taught with this knowledge because the authority was from himself. Think about that. These scribes, uh, the, these teachers of the law, these PhDs were teaching from what the rabbis before had said. And the rabbis before them had said, Jesus is the one that created those rabbis. Jesus was the one that was there at the beginning of time. Jesus was the one that created heaven and earth, that created every person in that synagogue listening. Jesus was part of that. He knew they would be there. And so he has this authority from God himself, this authority backing him, this authority that he has been there all along. So every word he has is taught with authority. In Luke, we catch a glimpse of some of his teaching. He goes into a synagogue and he reads from a scroll from Isaiah. And this scroll prophesies the Messiah that's to come. This is often Jesus' teaching as he went in the synagogue. This was often his teaching as he was with gatherings of people. He taught about this prophecy of the Messiah to come. He taught about who the Messiah would be. He taught about what the Messiah was to do. And then he revealed he was the Messiah. That with authority, he taught them the Messiah is here. This prophecy we've had from long ago is here. This was his teachings. The, ver- the passage continues, and immediately, that's one of Mark's favorite words, and immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, 
Why, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So that, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding areas of Galilee. This demon-possessed man, Mark shares that he cries out about this plural, have you come to destroy us? The demon is one of many, and it gives us a preview. The, the demon already knows what's to come with the Messiah's here. He has come to destroy all of evil on the cross at the end of his earthly ministry. And the demon knows this, and he says, so, so you're here. It's, it's over. You've come to destroy us. And, and he tries to call out his name and, and says his name to try to have power over Jesus. And Jesus won't have anything to do with him. says, silence. Come out of him. With authority. From this first part of the story, from this first glimpse into the to life of Jesus, I, I think Mark makes it clear for us to see. And, and I think it's obvious for us to see the authority of Jesus. He taught with authority. He had authority over the unclean spirits. He has authority over the spiritual realm. And we're going to see later the authority as he heals a man of leprosy over the physical realm. Jesus has all authority. And so as we look at these stories today, it's almost like little sermonettes, almost little lessons that we can see each one. And I wonder if we don't take from this one, who has authority in our life? Is it us? Are we trying to control everything? Are we trying to live the way we want? Are we making all of our decisions? Or are we willing to put ourselves under the authority of Jesus Christ? Everyone that encountered him was in awe of his authority. Are we? Are we willing to live in a way, such a way that is clear of his authority over us? His authority over our life, his authority over our decisions, his authority over what we do, what we say, how we live, our relationships. Are we living in such a way that he has authority? When we read his words, when they heard him in that synagogue, they were astonished at his authority. When we read the words, are we changed? Do we change and follow him? Do we submit to his authority? When we feel convicted by the Holy Spirit, are we willing to submit? Jesus had great authority. The people saw it. The demons saw it. Do we see it? My prayer for us. At the end of each one of these sections, we're going to have a prayer. And so my prayer today, if you will pray with me. Lord, we thank you. God, that we just lift this up and we pray that you are the final authority, that you are the authority over, uh, over our lives. God, that each person here will, will follow you, will submit to you. God, we struggle sometimes to, to fight for who's in charge. And God, let us see from this story that you are the one with authority, authority over the spiritual realm, authority over the physical realm, Authority to be able to speak into our lives. God, I pray that you have authority over each one of us. In your name. On the throne. Isn't that awesome? That is great.
If you guys want to grab a seat, uh, archaeologists today have been in the ancient site of Capernaum. And when they go and they dig down, they have found the first century uh, synagogue, out, probably the one that Jesus was teaching in. And right next to the synagogue, they have found remnants of a, of a home, a, a traditional Jewish home, uh, but there's a little different. Uh, there's religious graffiti on the walls, and there's two big doors that open up to a courtyard space where there would have been gatherings. The archaeologists have dug and found signs, and they've concluded uh, with almost certainty that this was the home of Peter. The Peter, the disciple, Simon, uh, and we go and we see this story. And so you can actually go and be in this home that we're about to read here in verse 29. Jesus continues, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told, her, they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Remember Mark's source for many of his stories. Mark wasn't one of the disciples that followed him, but Mark was close to Peter, to Simon. And so, of course, Mark would include this story because I'm sure, I'm sure Peter talked often about this story of that time that Jesus even cared about my mom, about my mother-in-law. Jesus, the son of God, he had so many things to do. He had people clamoring at him. He had people, demons that he would cast out. He had people that were sick. He had so many things, so much on his heart, so much on his mind. He came to die. He knew this was his destiny and he cared about my mother-in-law. That he came in the home and we just told her about her. We didn't, it says that he, they just told him. It doesn't say that they brought him to her. They probably didn't expect Jesus to do anything about that. Why would you care about one individual? Is it really important? But he did. And I love that part of the story. Because it reminds me that Jesus cares about each one of us. That he cares about you and me that he cared that much about Peter's mother-in-law, that he goes, and he grabs her by the hand and he lifts her up. And instantly this, this cold, this flu, whatever ailment it was that she had, left her. And she re, re, responds to him by serving him. I love this story. It's such a great response. It's a great story. This is the first reference that we have in the, Bible, in the Gospels of a deacon, of a deaconess which means to serve, that Peter's mother-in-law got up and served. And I love this story because I see this story and I think of Discovery Church, right? I think of, of anyone in the Bible that, that would love this church, I think Peter's mother-in-law would be all over this place because this is a church that serves. I was actually talking to someone a few weeks ago and said, what was different about this church? What, was, what do I love about it? And I said, it's just a church that serves. And I said, a lot of churches say that, but but this one really does it. For example, two weeks ago, we had sent to serve and, and I, we got a few pictures that we're just gonna kind of throw through. But it was so neat to gather together and have 100 plus people going out into the community and serving. 
There might be a picture in here of a pie. I'm not sure if it made it in the set, but it was neat. Someone sent me a picture of two pies and said, I did send to serve at home. I made a pie for my neighbor and a pie for someone else that needed encouragement. Then we went to, uh, we made signs for night to shine. We went to the Isaiah house. We went to the elderly home. We helped out at Healing Hands. We served. Why? Not because it's fun, although I enjoy those days. Not because it just gives us something to do or we can write off a community service form. But because Jesus cares for us. Because we've met him. We've encountered him like Peter's mother-in-law. And our response is to serve him. Peter's mother-in-law was the same way that she wanted to serve. Just as this congregation does. And I love that about this church. Many people came, as the archaeologists have found, that there's this courtyard led by the doors, and it says that many people were coming to the house, and they were, there were so many people that they were even outside the door. They were backed up, and they're coming to meet Jesus, to be healed by him, to have the demons removed by him, to, to fix ailments. I'm sure there was people with, with lifelong crippling, crippling maladies that he was able to take care of. There was people with temporary things like, like a fever that the mother-in-law had. Everyone came and Jesus healed him. And as I read this story, I think, I bet a lot of us would have liked to have been there that night. That perhaps we're suffering with a chronic illness, with a disease that we think, man, if we could have just been made it to Peter's home, life would be so much easier. That maybe it's even not a physical ailment, but something emotional, something mental, something we're struggling with. Some pain, something going on in our life that we wish, oh, I wish Jesus could just heal it. And for those of you that are thinking that, those of you that are experiencing that, those of you that think, I wish I could bring so-and-so to Jesus. I wish I could have brought my mother-in-law to the home that night. I want to let you know, all those people he healed, it was temporary. All those people still died. All those people ended up, ended up dying someday and, and they went to heaven or hell. I believe probably most of them went to heaven. Once they've encountered Jesus, once they've met him face to face, I don't know how you wouldn't be able to, to give your life to him, to see him as the Messiah. And so we see the story and, and we think, man, I wish we could have been there, but, but I want to let you in on something that's even greater, that we might have sufferings today yeah, and today until we pass on, you might have a chronic illness that, that you'll never get over. But our healing comes beyond this world. Revelations 21, verse 3 through 5 says, uh, John is saying this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We weren't in Peter's courtyard, and there might be something that we're suffering through today, and possibly tomorrow and the next week, next month, but there's hope. 
this, this healing at that night in the courtyard, that was temporary. All those people would eventually die. But I believe those people, they encounter Jesus as their Messiah would be in heaven and they would be able to be where there is no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain. That us, as we give our lives to him, as we submit to his authority, as we see him as the Holy One, as we see him as the Messiah, that we would know that we are going to a place where he makes all things new. So in light of that healing, how are we going to respond? For Peter's mother-in-law, he responded by, she responded by serving. Where could we serve Jesus this week? We saw an example, a very clear example the past couple of weeks, two weeks ago about sin to serve, but where could you serve Jesus this week? Maybe today, where could you serve him in your home? Maybe tomorrow morning, what coworker could you do something for? Not because you're friendly, not because you're best friends with them, not because we're in the South and that's just what Southern people do, but because we love Jesus and we want to show his love. We want to show who Jesus is. This is how we respond to his authority. This is how we care that we serve. So this section as we see Peter's mother-in-law, as we see these people changed, how are we going to change, show that this week? Where could you serve this week to share Jesus' love and to love him back? If you'll pray with me. God, I just pray that we can find a way to serve. God, that this isn't just a, an idea, but that this is something concrete that you place in our hearts, a, an idea that you place in our minds, a passion to, to be able to do something this week. God, that might be to, to go and sign up to help out in the children's ministry. That might be just to, to make a cup of coffee for a coworker that's having a hard day. God, what does it look like for us to be able to serve you? What does it look like for us to be able to love you? because you first loved us, because you gave us eternity, because you will make us new. Amen. The shine through is awesome. Uh, it was dark, and so that's why our, our footage is as best as we could, but it was so much fun to see the excitement. Uh, one participant drove into the parking lot and said, I'm a star, and it was awesome, because they were, and they are. As we continue on with this passage in Mark, we see something special here. Verse 35 says, And raising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to the desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next town, that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out the demons. Jesus, it's a weird connection. It's weird for us to understand, but he was 100% God, right? He knew what people were thinking. He had healing powers. He was able to do all the things that God could do, and yet he was 100% man. He was in a physical human body, a body that needed rest, a body that needed rejuvenation, a body that needed to eat and drink and sleep, a body that needed to get away sometimes, to get energized. And so Jesus gets away. And I love this example because it, it opens us up a lot to who Jesus was. 
Because if Jesus had wanted, he could have probably used his God side of him to, to make his body continual, to make it so he never had to sleep, so he never had to eat, that he never got worn out. And, and honestly, he probably would have been able to preach more messages, heal more people, do more things. But he didn't. He confined himself to the human body that needed to rest, that needed to, to get away. And I love he did that because we can connect with him. Otherwise, Jesus would have been the superhuman that we would have never been able to connect with. We would have been able to be like, yeah, Jesus could do that because he was only God. But we can say Jesus was man also. And we can connect to him. That's what that verse in Hebrews chapter 4 we can, says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. He knew our weaknesses, our, our desire to, to eat, our desire to, to rest, our desire to get away sometimes. And so that's exactly what we see Jesus here do is we see his human side that he gets away. And what does he do? He spends time with God. He spends time in prayer. He gets up early while it's still dark and he's praying. And the people are looking for him and he's praying. This is the priority for Jesus. Prayer, communion with God is, is not only just a priority, it's a necessity for him. So much so that he knows the crowds are going to be looking for him, so he has to get up before dark. But before the sun comes up, he gets up to go spend time with God because it's that important to him. It's that much of a priority. It's that much what builds him up, what pours into him is his time with God. This is where he gets rejuvenated. This is where he finds his energy. This is where he finds his excitement. His passion is by spending time with God. And I see that, and like I said, all throughout this chapter are little lessons, and, and this lesson here is, are we getting rejuvenated by spending time with God? Are we taking time for prayer? Are we spending time communicating to God? But I think this example of prayer is connected with what Peter says and why they have to leave. And it might be all put together for God had a reason for us to see this all together. That Jesus goes off and pray and so we're inspired to pray. But here we get a glimpse of maybe what we should be praying for. Because he says, Peter comes and says, the people are looking for you. Everyone's looking. Last night, you, you stayed up late. You were casting out demons. You were healing people left and right. And they've spread the word. More are here. There's more people sick. There's more demons. More people want to be with you. Where are you? And his response is, we need to leave because I need to teach. He wasn't just here to give miracles. He wasn't just here for healing. He was here to change people's lives. And those lives were changed by what he said. Those lives were changed by the teaching when he'd go into a synagogue and he'd tell them about the Messiah that was to come and how he is that Messiah. Place your faith in him. Listen to him. Put your trust in him. Let his words shape us. And so the people are coming because they want something. They want to be healed. They, they want to be fixed. And he wants to be able to talk to the people. As we talk about our prayer life, so often... All of us, you and me and mankind, we come to Jesus in times of need. And there's nothing wrong with that. We come to him in times of need. We got a big test coming up or, or a school struggle or there's a, a job opportunity. 
We come to him with those. We come to him with times of need that someone's sick or struggles at home. And we come to Jesus and we come to God in prayer. But how often do we come to God in prayer to hear his word? Not just because we want something, but because we want to be molded by him. How often do we pray, God, open your, my heart to your word this morning, and then we read the Bible. How often do we spend time in prayer, God, let light a fire in me to be able to want to dive into your word. God, speak into my life. God, even if it hurts, even if you're correcting me, even if there's things that I need to change, go ahead and speak those into my life. Jesus wanted to teach, not just to heal. And so often we just come to him for the healing. We come to him for the things we want, the things we need. Are we coming to him for what he wants? For us to follow him, for us to listen to him, for us to, to pray to him, for him to be the authority over our lives. This passage, this section started with him as the authority. Everyone that meets him sees his authority. And too often, sometimes we see him as someone that could fix our problems. Maybe our prayer life needs to start with praying for him to be an authority in our life. Jesus gets away early because he's busy. All of us are busy. You, you might have uh, kids or you might not. You might have a job or you might not. You might have hobbies, you might not. Either way, I'm sure your time is filled with something. Either way, it seems hard sometimes for us to get away, to read, for us to get away and pray. And so this morning, we just wanted to give you that time. Like I said, this morning's a little different in many different ways, but we're going to take two minutes. Doesn't seem like long, but we're going to pray. For some of you, you might be looking at your watch after 10 seconds, and you're like, is it time yet? For some of you, it's going to go so fast, and you're, you're going to want to get up and just leave before I start talking again. And so you can finish praying. But we're going to take two minutes to pray. And so we have several prayer prompts. You can pray about whatever you want. You don't have to pray over these things. But we have several prayer prompts that we wanted to encourage you to, to be able to maybe pray through these. And, and we'll have these scroll through on the screen maybe every 15 seconds or so, 30 seconds they'll change. And, and just give you some new ideas to pray. If you're stuck, look up on the screen and you'll see an idea. To pray to understand God's word. To pray to have a passion for him. To pray for open opportunities to serve God. We talked about that. Where could you do that this week? To, to pray for renewal in our faith. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're feeling cold and you just need your faith renewed. To pray for strength as we face hardships. Whatever's going on, that God would help you. To pray for unbelievers to come to know Jesus as their Savior. Perhaps someone you know. Perhaps someone, a loved one. Perhaps maybe you this morning to pray to light a desire for God's word in our hearts. So this morning, we're gonna take two minutes to pray to the one with authority, to pray to the one that can heal, but also to pray to the one that wants to teach and wants to tell us he's the Messiah. So go ahead, wherever you're at right now, he and here, if you're watching at home, take two minutes and we'll be back. But let's pray. To be a leper in those days meant you were an outcast, meant that you weren't allowed to be in the town, meant you weren't allowed to go to the synagogue and worship. It meant that you were separate. You were stood apart, that you were treated differently. You were treated unclean. 
We've already seen Jesus meet someone, uh, the demon-possessed man who's spiritually unclean, and now we're going to have him encounter someone who's physically unclean. Verse 40 says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, can you make me clean? Moved with pity, he stretched out his hands and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. This leper became clean. Everyone that saw him knew, hey, weren't you that, that leper? Why are you with the crowd? Why, why does your skin look better? And he said, I've been made clean. I'm changed. You know who changed me? Jesus. I love these stories because every one we see someone changed. Peter's mother-in-law is changed. She gets up and she starts serving. The leper is changed. He goes and he can tell everybody. Everyone is changed that touches and meets and encounters Jesus. And so as we conclude this morning, I ask, are you changed? Would others be able to see there's something different about you and me because we have Jesus? There is no doubt that this leper has been changed. There's no doubt that he has met Jesus. He has encountered him. Everyone that knows him would be able to proclaim there's something different about this guy. Oh, I hope that people could say that about me and you. Oh, I pray that someone could see us and say there's just something different about them. They might not be able to know what it is, but they know something's different, which would lead us an opportunity to be able to share. That we'd be able to say, I'll tell you what's different. There's one that's the Messiah. There's one whose authority I submit to, who's ruling my life, and I'm changed. So as we close this morning of looking at all these encounters, encounters with Jesus, I ask, have you encountered Jesus? Have you given your life to him and, and have you been baptized? And if not, I want to encourage you to come talk to us afterwards. Meet someone in the fireside room. Talk to me outside. I'd love to tell you more about this Jesus that's worth following, that's worth giving all authority to. And if you have, are you living a life that's different? Everyone that comes to the leper knows he's different. The, Peter's mother-in-law was different. Each person is different different. They were amazed when they encountered Jesus in the synagogue. Are you amazed? Are you different? Are you changed? If you'll, uh, if you'll pray with me one more time, I just want to pray for change in each one of us. God, I pray that we are changed, that we are different. I pray that there is something unique that people would be able to say, you God, have taken our lives. You, God, are the authority over us that you, God, have made us different, that we want to serve, to serve you by serving other people, that we want to love you by loving other people. God, I pray that if there's people here that have not been changed by you, that they will come to know you for the first time. And God, if there's people that have known you and aren't living changed, God, let us encounter you again, perhaps for the first time. God, we lift this up in your name. Amen.